Welcome to It's In My Queue, the podcast where we talk about TV pilots. I'm Kara. And I'm Adina. And today we're talking about The Magicians. Um, so fun fact, we recorded this episode last January. Um, Wait, January? Really? I thought we did it in like March. Or was it March? It was March. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, we recorded this episode probably about a year ago. Yeah, I think so. Uh Um, which is very bizarre. Um, but we lost the audio for it. Yeah, this was back when we were first starting. We didn't really know what we were doing recording wise. And we recorded two episodes that we let the files get corrupted and they were lost. So this one and also the next one we're going to record um, are going to be redos for us. Although it's going to be new for you guys because obviously we never posted those episodes. So we'll see Uh if, if it sounds like we're discussing something that we previously discussed, then that's why, but we'll try and, try and make it a, a good, understandable discussion for you guys. Yeah. Uh, today we're talking about The Magicians, which is one of my television disappointments of 2020. When this episode comes out, it will have been a little over a year since the last episode where I sat ang- crying angry tears in my basement because um, it aired April 1st. Um, (laughs) that was not the first, that was not be the last time I cried angry tears at a series finale in 2020. (laughs) We won't talk about that one today. Anyway, but I will say The Magicians is one of my, is like one of my favorite TV shows. Um, Mm -hmm. so even, even though it did make me cry some angry tears at multiple points, I feel like people know that I'll kind of just watch whatever is put in front of me in terms of television, to be perfectly honest. I'm not that picky. Um, So I feel like I have like this weird eclectic range of tastes. And so the random sci-fi things that get thrown in are always really fun. I feel like people would be like, oh, you watch that? And I'm like, yeah, it's a good time. Uh, Don't put me in a box. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you tell them. So yeah, um, I came across The Magicians, um, which is actually a book trilogy first. Um, It was written by Lev Grossman. It's um, an urban fantasy book that was published in 2009, and it follows college student Quentin Coldwater, who learns that he can do magic, and he goes to the secret magic school called Break Bills that's in upstate New York. And then he and his magic school friends go to a different world from his favorite book series that's called Fillory. So The Magicians is the first book in that trilogy, which is then followed by The Magician King and and The Magician's Land. My dad introduced this book to me, I think, at the end of high school. My dad introduced (laughs) it to me, too. Yeah, um, he like That's handed it to me and he was like, this is like Harry Potter and Narnia, but for adults. And yeah, my dad said the same thing. <laughs> so I think that's, that's really I funny. I think our dads would get along. Yeah, I do too. So yeah. <laughs> I think I read it either end of high school or early college. I can't quite remember, but I, I have a memory of it reading about him being in college interviews while I was also close to the college process. So it was Mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Yeah, I guess a little bit more background on the book. So as I said, it was written by Lev Grossman. He got the idea because he had 
this weird dream where about a beast invading a magical classroom. So that is kind of the impetus of this entire series, um, which I think is quite cool and notable for later. So like I said, it's kind of like an urban fantasy sort of story. He credits T.H. White and The Once and Future King as a large influence on his work. So he also credits Chronicles of Narnia, Harry Potter, A Wizard of Earthsea, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, Watchmen, Larry Niven's Warlock stories, Fritz Lieber's Fard and the Grey Mouser stories. I don't know. I don't think I said that correctly. Oh, I think um, my dad read me those books at some point. Yes. That's Yeah. Um, so those were some of his big influences on this work. He also says that he originally wanted to do an actual direct connection to C.S. Lewis's novels and use the wood between the worlds, which is like, you know, the little wood space in The Magician's Nephew. I don't know mm-hmm. if people have read Chronicles of Narnia. I read some of them, but I never finished. Mm-hmm. Um but um, that is, but then his lawyers were, from the publishing house were like, mm, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, so instead, he created the Netherlands, which, if you've read the books or seen the show, are a pretty important part of mm-hmm. the Fillory lore. So, yeah, um, that is a little bit about the book, like, and the concept. I'm going to pepper in as I did last time when we recorded this, I'm going to pepper in some fun character descriptions as we meet the characters. Um, And just, you know, talk a little bit about some of the book differences as we go, book and show differences. Um, But yeah, I first discovered, I feel like I first discovered The Magician's TV show, maybe like the year after it came out. I remember my dad said to me, because like it came out when we were in college and my dad said to me, hey, Kara, uh, The Magicians is getting a TV show. Did you hear? And I did. Um, And I was like, oh, that's cool because I was like, I really enjoyed that book. So then I think that I probably watched the first season after it hit Netflix. I don't, the only season I ever watched live was season five, which is honestly sad for me because it wasn't, I... I don't want to talk about it. We're talking about the pilot today. Um, (laughs) Anyway, and then I kind of like just watched the seasons through Netflix. When we initially recorded this, it was on our list of show that I had seen, but Adina had not, which is now ruined that conceit. Here's the thing. I would still honorarily include it on that list because I, well, even before I had seen it with you, I had read the books. I read the first two books. I didn't read the third one. Um, so I, I knew a bit about the world. Um, I also had tried to start the show at one point. So I had watched at least the pilot, maybe two episodes at some point before we recorded the first time. So now I have seen the pilot three times. I also did go on and watch season one and I think part of season two, maybe um, after we recorded last time. So I have seen a bit of the show now. Mm-hmm. Lost steam at some point. I mean, it was enjoyable. Um, I'll probably finish it at some point. Um, but I still feel like you definitely know it way better than I do. I honestly don't recall a lot of it. Uh, so when I still, when I try and think of the plot, it's still mostly the books that come into my mind. So 
Yeah, that's interesting because the books have left my brain. I truly, like, I was rereading a little bit of The Magicians last year, like, when we went back to do this episode, since I was, like, going through the book before we did this. And it truly didn't even feel that familiar to me, even though the first book is basically the plot of season one yeah. uh, in some respects. Uh, I feel like at this point, I now consider the book and the show such separate entities mm -hmm. that I, especially because I don't really remember the books anymore. Um, all, uh, the main thing about the books that I feel like I was slightly bothered by is that I didn't really care for Quentin. Um, yeah. I feel like it's hard when that's literally your protagonist. So I feel like that was like one of my hesitancies in starting the show is it was like, well, if I don't like the main character, how am I going to enjoy it? I feel like because the show does something slightly different than what the books do in that we're not just following Quentin the entire mm -hmm. time. It's not completely his helps. point of view. It really helps it out. Um, yeah. Because I feel like I had some issue. I took some issue with Quentin being. Yeah our point well, of view the thing about in the book. Quentin is like he's a depressed protagonist yeah and depressed people like it's it's something you need help with but depressed people are not always fun to be around and like it's realistic in that sense it's a realistic mm -hmm. portrayal that he's very depressed and he's kind of an asshole yeah time but it's not always fun to read about it yeah I felt like Quentin is more of an asshole in the book than he is in the show yeah, um, I think they did downplay some of his worst things in mm -hmm. the show yeah um and also yeah just having a break from it just having the ability to go focus on other characters for a while as opposed to in the book where it um the first book is entirely from quentin's point of view the second book switches between quentin and julia and the um, third book switches between some other people because i remember elliot's point of view as well yeah so now i guess we can get a little bit into the development of the show itself so um the books were first optioned in 2011 by Michael Lu Michael London. Um, he intended to develop the show for Fox. Um, and so the first people that took a stab at writing the pilot were um, Ashley Miller and Zach Stentz, who were the co-writers of X-Men First Class, which is, in fact, my favorite X-Men movie. Um, nice. And... Uh, but that pilot did not get the green light. So um, then Michael London redeveloped the pilot with Sarah Gamble and John McNamara, who went on to become the executive producers and showrunners of The Magicians. So Sarah Gamble's name is um, kind of known from some projects such as uh, Supernatural, which we're talking about in a couple of weeks. Um, she was the series showrunner starting at the sixth season and then went to the end of the seventh season. So she was the showrunner for two seasons of Supernatural. She was a writer on it the, the first seven seasons and then became showrunner for season six. Six, yes. She is also um, executive producer of Lifetime and Netflix series You, so that's another notable one. Oh, and yeah. apparently Gamble and McNamara met um, while working on Aquarius. It's an NBC show that aired from 2015 to 2016. 
and which McNamara was the creator of. So Gamble was also a writer on Aquarius, which is where she met McNamara. And then they went on to go co-create and executive produce The Magicians. They wrote this new pilot um, and they took the script to Sci-Fi and Sci-Fi ordered the pilot. Um, So they filmed the pilot um, in late 2014 and wrapped in December. And then it was picked up for a 13 episode first season that would then air in 2016. The first episode aired twice, once on December 16th, 2015, and once on January 25th, 2016. So like it kind of aired as like, you know, that sometimes they do that thing where it's like they do, oh, special beforehand preview of the premiere. And then they just do it again, like a month later. Um, (laughs) I don't understand TV sometimes. Uh, But yeah, they did that. Um, So the show ran for five seasons on sci-fi. So it just ended April 1st, 2020, as I mentioned at the beginning. It was not like one of those things where I think they were meaning to end it. It got canceled. It makes me wonder how people think to wrap up their shows on the off chance that maybe something gets canceled because... Um, They got canceled, I think, on March 3rd, 2020, they announced that the the last, the last episode of season five would be the final episode. So that's like, as it was airing, it started airing in January of 2020. So um, it didn't feel, you know, I, I wondered if there was a plan. It didn't feel like there was one. It it very much felt like a final season episode and not a fi- an ep- final end to your series. Um, so I have many thoughts on that that I won't get into because we'd be here forever. Um, but yeah, uh, something to think about, I feel like. I have no clue what goes on in writer's rooms sometimes, but I have to wonder if there yeah. if those sorts of things are ever taken into consideration in terms of like, ooh, could we get canceled? Um, cause that is, I feel like one of my bigger questions. Um, cause I know sometimes people do say, oh, well, we'll write this little alternate thing in case we do get canceled. Um, yeah. I've known, I've heard of that, of that happening. So and it's cool sometimes when you get to see it, um, like when you get to see, oh, there's like this little deleted scene that would have been included if this actually was the end of the series or here's the alternate scene or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I wonder, I have many wonderings anyway. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit on development. I would say pretty, pretty standard development story. There are a couple of differences uh, from the book and the show that I'll note now before we get into the episode. Um, so in the books, Quentin and all of his friends are like college students. So, you know, 18 to 22 range. Um, in the show, they've aged the characters up so that they're doing grad school and not undergrad which I liked as a choice. Um, I don't think it makes so much difference to the plot per se, but I think it was smart because um, book one of the series takes place over several years, like five plus years. Yeah. Um, And so like, obviously they can't have the actors age that quickly and they didn't want everything to be super slow. And also the, the way they incorporated the plot, like, this pilot episode includes maybe a third to half of the plot of book one and also some of the plot of book two all in one episode. Yeah. So 
So they clearly wanted to speed through it quickly. So it makes sense that they just wanted to start them a little bit older. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it worked well for the show. So um, a nice change. They also have changed one of the character names. So uh, there's a character in the books. Her name is Janet. And in the show, she is named Margot. And the reason they changed her name is because they said there are too many J names. We don't want this to be confusing. Look, I I thought that was silly at first, but since I've been writing scripts and getting feedback on them, I've gotten the exact same note from people. I literally don't even notice that. Like to me, names sound different in my head and I would never even consider that. But now like on so many of my scripts, people are like, don't have characters with the same letter that starts their name. Um, And I'm like, but why? They're such such different names. But apparently for people reading it, that makes like a big issue. So yeah, I remember seeing that they weren't calling her Janet. I remember seeing that as I was like reading about it before I watched season one. And then they said the thing about there being too many J names. And I took a second and I was like, huh, Julia, James, Janet, Josh. That's yeah. four people with J names. Um, yeah. Although to be fair, like in the book, Julia and James are not very involved at first. Yeah, but, that's I mean, true. In the series, they were bringing Julia in more. And also in the series, they kind of, well, Josh comes in later, doesn't he? Josh does come in later. also very different. Mm-hmm. That Josh is, one is of, more present in the book. Yeah, that is one of the other differences of the book to the show is that, so like I said in the beginning, it follows... Uh, Quentin's friends and Josh was one of the magic school friends um he's in the same year as Ellie and in the books he's in the same year as Elliot and Janet um but in the show Josh does not show up until like the end of season one as a guest and he is also not in the same year as Elliot and Margot for show purposes and he but he be, does become like a recurring and then a main character by the end of the series mm-hmm. um i like show josh he's fun yeah. yeah the other big difference is that um as we mentioned season 1 condenses the plot of the first book in such a way so that um the entirety of quentin's time at break bills which kind of spans 5 years really feels like a few semesters and it also folds in Julia's plot at the same time as Quentin's plot um and we didn't learn much about what was going on with Julia until book two um in the books but there but it was like happening as Quentin was in school they were simultaneous so they brought it in a good choice for the adaptation to do that yes definitely for sure I would say so so yeah so because on tv shows it's like in books, it's sometimes hard to have multiple plots with ca- multiple characters going on, but in TV mm-hmm. shows, it's weird not to have a B-plot. So I think having her at the B-plot is smart. Yes. Um, so this episode is, this is season one, episode one of The Magicians. It is titled Unauthorized Ma- Magic, and it is written by Sarah Gamble and John McNamara and directed by Mike Cahill. So we here we are. Um, We see some establishing shots of New York City. We're in a park, you know, just people chilling. And we zoom in on this door that has graffiti on it. You know, it's kind of gross, drab looking door. Um, And then it just kind of opens of its own accord. And behind the door, there's this like really nice sunny day. So it's like, you know, very much juxtaposed with like the dreary New York City one that we are already seeing. Um, And a man walks out of this door 
and he comes and he sits down on a bench and a woman comes up behind him and comes to meet him. And the first thing he says to her is you're late. Um, and that he has a school to run and she says there are more important things and she says it's happening and deposits a weird little moth like looking bug creature onto his newspaper that he has been sitting there reading. Um, I would not be happy if somebody dropped, dropped a bug in my lap personally. Absolutely not. No, no. Um, I hate these bugs so much. Yeah. So um, this gets his attention, this moth thing. I call it a moth. It kind of it looks like a moth, kind of like a butterfly. We're not really sure what it is. I think it's like some sort of mixture that I hate. It, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's bad. They're talking about how none of them, they start talking about this group of people. We don't know who they are. They're not ready yet. They're not at break bills. They have to get there. That, and you're kind of sitting there like, oh, who, what, who, something is dire, something is going wrong, and they have to fix it, is what it sounds like. But we're not super clued into who they're speaking about or who they're referring to. Mm -hmm. And they're saying that they have to get there before he gets there. So this man is like, well, we're not really in control here. Um, so it seems like they have control over some things, but not others. Um, and he's like, well, I'll do what I can. It's like they need to get to the school, but that's not the important part. These are the mm-hmm. things that this woman is saying to him. She hands this man this pocket watch and she's like, oh, how is our boy? Where is he? And the guy's like, yeah, I've been keeping an eye on him. Yeah, I have. Um, and then he admits that he has not really been keeping the best eye on him. Um, and she's like, well, where is he? Um, and then it cuts to presumably our boy you see the Statue of Liberty and then it's like you see a sign that reads Midtown Mental Health Clinic and then the camera kind of pulls into the room and there's this clattering of a coin. Um, It finally gets stopped by someone's hand and this guy played by Jason Ralph picks up the coin and he starts to do a magic trick um, thing with it and so a psychologist is evaluating him and she's like that was cool. And he like looks super bored. Um, and then she says to him, I'm sure you're a hit at parties. And then it cuts to a party. He is not a hit at parties, as we learned in this scene. Um, he's sitting in a beanbag chair in a corner, like with a red solo cup just by himself. And you see this girl who is in these like booty shorts and she's got on a shirt with a unicorn on it, a terrible hat. Um, I don't know why she had that hat on. It was 2014. That's why. <laughs> okay, well, that hat shouldn't have been a thing in 2014. That, that party was aggressively 20 teens. I felt yeah, like was... when I was watching it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is not the music it. Music too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel though for 2014, iconic music choice. Yeah. Um, he's like watching this girl dance, but honestly, he like looks like he'd rather be anywhere else. So this party is intercut with him talking to the psychologist. Um, He says that he thinks he's ready to be released and that he feels better. Um, And the psychologist reminds him that when he checked himself in, he was saying things like the feeling of not belonging anywhere was overwhelming. Um, So we are learning very immediately that this character is depressed. So he like checked himself into this hospital over the weekend. Um, So it cuts back to the party. He is arguing about 
a card trick with these girls who don't care he's like he's like basically saying that they've insulted him like about the slate of slate of hand stuff they probably didn't even say anything (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like oh my god even ask Mm -mm, no um i don't know why he would do his card trick at a party because he has no social skills i feel like they do a good job of establishing him as a guy who really doesn't have social skills and so i will say um to reprise what is written in my notes from last time the feeling that i had when i first watched this and the feeling that i still have now is i think he's too hot to be quentin based on what i was reading from the books i think he quentin wouldn't be that hot but on a physical level on a physical level however after having seen more of the show i think what is his name jason ralph jason ralph jason ralph mm-hmm. i think he's a very good choice acting wise to play quentin i do think he's a great choice yes. my gut instinct and i still stand by it i think he's just a little too hot quentin was supposed to be like scrawny misfit i think he makes up for it with his acting because he really portrays not having social skills and like not being super mentally well but I'm he like, does it yeah he does a good looking job. <laughs> yeah, no, I would say that I feel like qu- quite a few of the characters are a little too hot. Well, yeah. Um, but it's TV. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's like a bunch of different like moments of him, you know, trying to talk about, I guess, nerd culture things that no one seems to care about slash probably they didn't they didn't ask. I think you're right. Um, he just seems, he just, it's actually very efficient dialogue because in like such few exchanges, they very clearly establish like how he... He's not good at starting conversations and he's not good at knowing what other people actually want to talk about. And he's not good at adjusting to the situation. Um, Mm -hmm. He really only knows how to talk about the few things that he's interested in and he can't really fake it with other subjects. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, relatable sometimes, but also, oh man. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, sir. Um, Yeah. He was having some trouble. Basically, the psychologist is still wondering why he thinks that he's ready to leave after all of that stuff he said at the beginning of the weekend. And he says to her, basically, you're a kid and you have your whole life ahead of you. And you have these notions about what life is and what it could be. But eventually you have to let all that go. So him talking about all of these, you know, nerdy things and that sort of thing at the party, um, things that are maybe deemed as childish. I put that in air quotes and you can't see me, um, but the emphasis on the air quotes there and that sort of thing. So he's kind of talking about growing up and getting serious and he thinks that he's ready to do that. Um, so then it cuts back to the party and we see that he is, you know, still sitting on his little beanbag chair and he's looking at this girl who is across the room. Um, she's sitting on this guy's lap and she tr- kind of tries to get him to join in, like, you know, to come be part of the party because he's like at the party, but he's not really there. Um, so eventually he like declines and he just goes off alone. Back in his psych eval, he mentions that he has a grad school interview um, for Yale Um, and the psychologist says that, you know, she really recommends further treatment. And he basically, he says that he wants to leave because he's like, um, I haven't threatened to harm anyone or myself, so you can't make me stay. Can you? (laughs) But, you know, he, then it's clear that he was released. They Mm -hmm. let him go. Um, so we go back to the party and Quentin This character is sitting in his room. He's reading a book. Um, We see a few shots of stuff in the room. So there's, um, first we get a shot of his meds that are on the bedside table. The shot of a 
um, a bunch of different book sets of this series called Fillory and Further, um, which is fake Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and he has a lot of different editions of it. Like clearly he's obsessed with it. Yep. And he's got this like like poster. It's like, this, this is Quentin's escape. This is the thing he loves so much. Mm. So there's then a voiceover starts of him reading this book. Um, this so we're learning a little bit about the backstory of the this is like the other part of the story is in the magicians is the lore of Fillory itself. Mm. We learn about the Chatwin twins who are Martin and Jane, and they have a brother named Rupert. And so basically they are, you know. It feels kind of similar to like the wartime story of the Pevensey children mm-hmm. in the Chronicles of Narnia, except fewer siblings in this case. And so as he's, you know, kind of explaining about the story, you see these kids, the Chatwin children, um, and we get to go see Fillory for the first time. So you see a grandfather clock and you see all three kids kind of standing in front of it. Are there only and Martin- three? There are only three in this in the TV show. Oh, because I, I think, think there are four, four in the books. Yeah. There's four there's in the books. Girl. Yeah, I can't remember her name. So there's a grandfather clock that takes them into Fillory, much like in Narnia, where a wardrobe takes them into Narnia. Yep. Um, it's not subtle so, at all. <laughs> no, it is quite literally just Narnia, but it's Fillory. <laughs> it's not Narnia. Yeah. We follow, we learn that Rupert is the oldest who was injured in the war. Um, and is, and he goes in after Martin. Martin is the one who is easily ready to believe that this sort of magical, fantastical thing can exist. And it says that Jane is the family skeptic. Mm. And so we see Jane and we get to step into Fillory through her point of view. So this is our very first view of Fillory. Um, it looks, you know, like a like a nice field area is there, um, very scenic. And then we see that Jane happens upon a tree that has a clock embedded in it. And she like calls her brothers over and is like, look at this. I noted that here is where Quentin's voiceover as he's reading it says, it is here where our story begins, but beware this adventure is no mere children's tale which I feel like works pretty well for the show as well as for the book series of Fillory. Because there's like, as we learn later, it's it's very dark. This is a very dark show. I don't think I said that before. Um, Yeah. And it's also like the books are also super dark. They're like dark in different Mm -hmm. ways, but they're both very dark. Yeah, I would say the show has more fun with itself and like the books- the books, the books just are really have you, depressing. Like they're good. They really have you feeling heavy. Get get ready to feel like crap after you read them. You might have to take breaks in between them, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think I like that line and I like noted it. I didn't note it the last time, but I like paused and stopped to type it out because I think that I like when the show will warn you what it's about to be. Yeah. Which I think that this show does in the first episode in in an interesting way it goes back to quentin in his room reading 
Oh, I should have done the little character description of Quentin when you said that Jason Ralph is maybe too hot to be playing yeah. him. Uh, so we'll do it now because we're about to meet Julia uh-huh. and James anyway. So um, I wrote down the character descriptions for these characters that we meet in the first episode. So in the book, Quentin is described as, and I quote, Quentin was thin and tall, though he habitually hunched his shoulders in a vain attempt to brace himself against whatever blow was coming from the heavens and would logically hit the tall people first. His shoulder his shoulder length hair was freezing in clumps because it was like winter. Mm. Um, that's like right at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like I feel like Jason Ralph actually does a good job of the hunched yeah, shoulders thing. Yeah, I think he has the perfect, perfect energy for Quentin. So I don't mean this is a yes. knock on him, but I'm just like, sir, you're handsome. You have a strong jaw and a nice face. Why are you depressed? <laughs> Pretty people aren't allowed to be depressed. Okay. <laughs> so Julia comes in um, to Quentin's room. She interrupts his reading. Um, Julia is played by Stella Maeve. She doesn't really get very much of a character description in at the beginning. Because she's not very relevant book. to the first book. Yeah. Yes. But it says, her dark hair was pulled back in a wavy bunch. That is what we've got. Also, fun fact, I've seen, uh, she was on Gossip Girl. Stella Maeve was. Anyway, um, so she interrupts Quentin's reading. And she's like, where's the girl in the unicorn shirt? Kind of joking with him because uh, she was like, she was totally checking you out, that sort of thing. Um, She's trying to get him to stop reading because he's read the books like 800 times or something, as she says. He says that um, it's the first edition and he's, you know, just looking through it again before he sells it on eBay. She kind of jumps on his bed and sits with him. Uh, They're kind of lying back together. You can very immediately tell that they are very good friends. Um, Quentin and Julia are best friends. And she asks him where he was this weekend. And he lies and says that he went to his dad's. He got angsty, so he escaped to Jersey. And he's like, don't judge. And she says, I would never. And then she kisses him on the cheek. Mm -hmm. And in comes this guy, James, who is Julia's boyfriend, uh, James got a bit more of a character description and he's not even a thing really. Yeah. Uh, so it says James put his hands behind his head, fingers in his wavy chestnut hair, his camel cashmere coat wide open to the November cold and belched mightily. Cold never bothered him. Quentin felt cold all the time. Like he was trapped in his own private individual winter. I feel like there's a lot of character descriptions that are like depending on who it is Quentin's kind of comparing himself to them I was about to say I feel like the only reason he gets that much description is because Quentin has this whole inferiority thing but also it's weird because he has a fucking crush on Julia so you would think he would describe her more but that just goes to show about men they don't actually care about the girl (laughs) they just care about the guy that has the girl instead of them (laughs) Yeah, um, that's, I feel like that's a fairly, I would say that's kind of a notable thing about the show in the book. I feel like show Quentin doesn't really have a crush on Julia in the way that book Quentin has on book yeah. Julia. Well, I feel like they, it's it's probably part of the fact of them collapsing the two books into one uh, because mm-hmm. also, also collapsing the timeline because book one, it just yeah. takes place over a much longer period of time. It it much more emphasizes this whole thing of like Quentin adjusting to break bills over time. And he had this longtime crush on Julia and he has to let it go. 
um whereas on the show which is which happened. took up a lot of time it really did honestly uh, i don't mind losing that because i'm like Dude, yes get over your fucking high school crush you're in magic school there's other girls. yeah no i'm i'm glad that the show didn't really have it yeah um it was okay. it like it was okay honestly probably made me like quentin more yeah. um right off the bat so anyway uh james comes into the room and he kind of like feigns offense he's like my girl my friend and then is kind of like without me and then like jumps into the bed and is like three-way and then uh all of these other party goers then take this as an invitation to run into the room and jump onto Quentin's bed and then the bed collapses and I was like were this a party at my home I would be be really pissed off so upset so I totally couldn't live with a person like James Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, Anyway, then it cuts to uh, a scene of Julia and Quentin, and they are walking the New York City streets to Quentin's Yale alumni interview. So um, he's, you know, feeling a little nervous, got the got the, you know, interview jitters relatable. He's like, you know, talking with julia we learned that you know he's studying philosophy or something i something stupid to get a to get a master's in philosophy seems silly to me but okay yeah. and julia is giving him a little bit of a pep talk saying he's got this um you know good friend things um they ring the bell and they don't get an answer um so julia knocks and the door just kind of opens so they walk inside and they kind of call in like hello Um, And then Quentin sees the grandfather clock that we saw in his in the little fillery flash when he was reading the book. And he's like, oh, my God, it's the grandfather clock from fillery. He's freaking out. Um, He's far too excited. Um, And then Julia turns and screams because she sees the body of the man who was supposed to interview Quentin. And that is the end of act one. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, so we've got like we've got our main player introduced. He is I feel like it's never explicitly stated in the book that Quentin is depressed, I don't think. I yeah, I don't is know it? if he gets like a formal diagnosis. It becomes very self-evident um throughout the first mm-hmm. book, but this show definitely does get into it a lot faster and a lot more clean cut. Yeah. This is probably a good choice um cuz it's it's uh just an easier establishment of a strong trait slash situation i guess with his mental health and like it's good to put your character in a place where they're kind of already into some problem like it's more it allows for stronger choices to make it so he's already struggling with his mental health and trying to recover as opposed to oh no i'm discovering that i might be depressed like that's a little weaker of a place to start from Yeah, that would start off a much different story, Um, I feel. I have some thoughts about the commentary this pilot seems to be making on mental health, which I know I said last time, and I'm going to repeat them. Yes. Um, But I do think it makes sense for this adaptation to Mm -hmm. make it a little bit more clear at the start. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, So, yeah, we've met we've met a couple of uh, main characters now. Um, so as we head into act two, we see that same lady from earlier. I forgot to mention she's British. (laughs) Um, forgot that. That's kind of important. Mm -hmm. We see her from earlier and she, um, but she this time is dressed as a paramedic. Um, and she says about the man that just died, well, 
he's dead. And she's kind of joking with Quentin and Julia, and they both don't seem like they want to joke about it. They've just they've just walked in on a dead guy. Like that's not they they're not really in this on the same level about this. And so Julia is like, all right, well, time for us to go. And uh, the paramedic says, as they're like starting to leave, that uh, the man had something for Quentin. So she hands Quentin this folder um, saying it was left for him. So uh, Quentin takes it and then he and Julia go. They're walking down the street and he opens this uh, folder and sees that inside it is a manuscript that is Fillory and Further, book six, The Magicians. Um, and it is dated 1952. And so Quentin gets really, really excited because um, the Fillory books, there are only five of them, but apparently there've been all sorts of like fan rumors on like message boards and that sort of thing about there being a lost sixth book. Mm. And Julia is basically telling him, Quentin, I don't think this is really a real thing. You literally wrote your admissions essay on the glory of Fillory. This guy just knows that you're a Fillory nerd and thought that you might enjoy this fun thing. So she's like, it's not a big deal. Calm down, basically. She basically says to him, I thought you were giving up on all of this stuff because he had said before, you know, he's like, I'm going to sell my stuff on eBay, things like that. So she's confused. Um, and then Quentin starts to get annoyed with her because we then learn that Julia is the one that introduced him to the Fillory books in the first place. Mm-hmm. He says that he learned magic to try and keep up with her. So like Julia was initially the one that was really obsessed with yeah. this. And so I, Quentin, you know, takes it like doesn't take it very well that she seems to now be telling him to grow up. I kind of like the way this is set up with Quentin and Julia, especially given that the show is framing them kind of as dual protagonists at the same time. Um, I like the way that it's set up that um, they both have this passion and they're dealing with it in different ways. It seems like Quentin is struggling more so in everyday life to balance his interest in magic and fillery with everyday life, whereas Julia maybe she feels it underneath it all but she's much more successful at like putting it away and functioning in everyday life but then given the events of this pilot it kind of swaps their places and makes it so that Mm -hmm. he ends up functioning better and she gets put in a worse spot so that's very interesting yeah it is quentin is continue saying this used to be their thing and that it didn't start bothering her until she met james Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of a low blow on his part after that she says that she knows that Quentin was at the hospital over the weekend I she's coming from a point of concern you can you can tell that she's you know she's just kind of worried about her friend and she just wants to make sure that he's okay she also says something that it's like last time so like this is perhaps not the first time that Quentin has gotten like this And I think that she's worried that him doing this, this finding like these ways to escape is like, you know, a pattern of his, that sort of thing. So I feel like she's just, you know, looking out for him in that sense. She says that she wants him to start living his life. She feels that, you know, him being trapped in his fantasy things is maybe not the healthiest for him. So she says that she has to go meet James. So she goes to leave and she leaves him alone. So Quentin is continuing to look at, you know, the fillery pages that he has and one of them flies away. So he's like, oh, fuck. Um, And he goes to follow it because he's like, I got to got to get this back so I can read it. So Julia, you know, she's off to go do her thing. She gets on an elevator. And so these two bits are intercut. 
So we're seeing Julia and Quentin on these two different journeys at the moment. So Quentin is chasing his page into an alley. Um, Julia gets on her elevator and it doesn't let her out on her normal floor. It's, we, it's like does something weird. She's like, oh, okay, perfect. That's great for today. Um, so Quentin is chasing his page. Um, it flies and it flies through a fence and like onto this branch and he like keeps following it. Um, so you, there's this moment where it's like, it's like winter or whatever. So you're seeing like dead trees, that sort of thing, like no life whatsoever. And then like, as Quentin gets further into this bush or wherever, it starts to like turn into spring. Yeah. It's um, really cool. And so and, like this bit with Quentin yeah. is actually like, that is like literally just as it was described in the books. I remember like that was a sequence that I remembered from the books because it was very vividly described. And I think they did an excellent job mm -hmm. of putting it onto the screen, like just the way it was talked about. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I, I really love this part of the, I really love this part of the pilot. I really love this yeah. part of the book. It's super, super cool. Super well done. I, I, I like the special effects on this show. So yeah, um, he is let out into this beautiful spring day and he's like, what the fuck? Um, and there's like a giant building, this really grand looking uh, place that's laid out in front of him across the lawn. Uh, and so he's like, oh, what's going on? We cut back to Julia. She, the elevator lets her out into this like sort of modern looking hallway and she sees a sign that says to exam and she's kind of like what but she gets out and you know just follows it <laughs> my favorite thing about this part is how both these nerdy kids they end up in like a completely foreign setting and have no idea how they got there but they see a sign that says to an exam and they're like exams i love exams i'll go take an exam <laughs> and yeah she's like all right time to go take a test Honestly, i didn't same. know about all right i would then. do that <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I would. I feel like I'd ask no, a few I more questions. Would. I would probably but, ask yeah. a couple of questions, but I'd be like, okay, I'll take a test while I'm here. It's like, if I must, but can you tell me what it's for? Um, I feel like that's what you I would, would say. Get, you would um, get ex escorted back out immediately. <laughs> they don't like people asking questions at Brickfields. Brickfields yeah. is not a good yeah, clearly. ethical institution. Let's say that from the start. No, no. I wrote down something for later that made me laugh, but is also like, mm, uh, okay, anyway. So uh, Julia gets off the elevator and starts following the sign. Um, and I also like this bit. So she's like walking through this like glass hallway. And then you also see Quentin who is outside the building walking up the lawn. The, the shots yeah. in this, I enjoy, I enjoy them. Uh, the, and so Quentin is like, you know, walking towards the building. He looks very confused. We see this man who is like lying atop a sign that says break bills. He's smoking a cigarette. I wrote, he kind of looks like he belongs on the English countryside, yeah. um, the way that he's dressed. Um, and as Quentin approaches him, the man looks at him and sits up. He reads off of this card and he looks at him and like seems very unimpressed and he goes, Quentin Coldwater um and Quentin's like yeah and he's like so then he gets up off the sign and he goes I'm Elliot you are late follow me and so this is Elliot who is a very fun character Elliot has the longest character description in the book out of anyone so I will read it now so Elliot on the show is played by Hale Appleman 
Um, and here is what the book says about him. He looked about Quentin's age. He wore a button-down shirt with a sharp collar and very thin, very pale pink stripes. He didn't look at Quentin, just dragged on his cigarette and exhaled into the summer air. The heat didn't seem to bother him. And then something from like slightly later, um, it says, there was something off about Elliot's face. His posture was very straight, but his mouth was twisted to one side in a permanent half grimace that revealed a nest of teeth sticking both in and out at improbable angles. He looked like a child who had been slightly misdelivered with some subpar forceps handling by the attending. But despite his odd appearance, Elliot had an air of effortless self-possession that made Quentin urgently want to be his friend or maybe just be him, period. He was obviously one of those people who felt at home in the world. He was naturally buoyant, where Quentin felt like he had to dog paddle constantly, exhaustingly, humiliatingly, just to get one sip of air. Huh. Long fucking that sentence. That is quite long. Man, yeah. people who write prose, they love long sentences. Sometimes, like, just because you can use more words doesn't mean you should. <laughs> that was a really long sentence, and I felt like I ran out of like, breath look, saying I it. teach grammar, and I know there's a lot of wonderful ways that you can connect clauses and make complete sentences, even though they're very long, and you can add more description and make it grammatically correct. It's possible. It doesn't always mean you should. <laughs> yeah, um, that's really long, but basically... The things that I'm going to hold on to from this character description are that um, that Elliot was obviously one of those people who felt at home in the world. And I think that Quentin is pretty immediately drawn to him, both in the book and yeah. on the show. Um, yeah, it also like struck me, I mean, as someone who read the books and was picturing the characters from the books, he, um, Hale Appleman, looks very much like what the description is, other than the fact that he doesn't have that um whatever injury or you know different thing with his mouth um which I mean it's, it's fine I guess it doesn't really affect the character at all and I guess they just you know didn't necessarily have an actor that looked like that and didn't want to do prosthetics for like every single episode because that seemed like too much but I don't know it was just interesting to me because yeah. that was like one very distinguishing feature and I'm like okay they just they got rid of that that's okay it doesn't really change much but yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't change much. I feel like he very much does a good job of giving off that air of yeah. confidence that is very Elliot. We see Quentin starts following Elliot to wherever Elliot is taking him. He's confused. This is where Quentin starts mm -hmm. asking a couple of questions. So he says, where am I? And Elliot says, you're in upstate New York. Um, yeah, so you're being offered um, a preliminary exam into the graduate program. <laughs> And he's like, so Quentin's confused. And then finally he goes, am I hallucinating? And Elliot stops and turns to look at him and goes, if you were, how would asking me help? Which is a really good point. <laughs> yeah. So then basically he, um, Quentin's like, yeah, I guess you're right. And uh, he keeps following Elliot. Elliot takes him into a room. Uh, we hear someone from the front of the room shout, late. Uh, and Elliot's like, it wasn't me. And Elliot leaves. Quentin goes to, basically, the person tells everyone to go sit down. Um, and so Quentin sits down. Uh, and then we see the man from the teaser. He finally introduces himself. He says he may refer to me as Dean. So this is Dean Fogg. 
who is played by Rick Worthy. And his character description in the book is a tall, fat man wearing a seersucker suit strode out onto the terrace. He spoke very correctly, as if he wished he had an English accent, but wasn't quite pretentious enough to affect one. He has a mild, open face and thin, blonde hair. And then it says, Quentin had never called an adult or anybody else sir in his life, but it suddenly felt appropriate, which I feel like other than the fact that this man is black, I feel like he is Yeah, other than like a couple of those physical details aren't the same, but like all of the energy is the same. Yeah. Yes. That's a good way. The way that he, the way that the Dean speaks, that it does, that is such a good way to describe it. Because he does kind of sound like maybe he wants to be British, but he's like, but I'm not going to actually pretend. <laughs> yeah. So he's talking, you know, uh, Quentin is, you know, struggling to take off his sweater. And it, you then see Julia, who is a few rows ahead of him. She's closer to the front of the room. Um, so basically, the dean is telling them they have this test they're going to take and they have to pass it. And so, you know it has like a little, these little blue books in front of everyone and he tells them to start. And so Quentin like looks at his paper. And so first it looks like math, but then the question changes and Quentin is like, what the fuck? So it like turns into these hand symbols and then he's very, he's very confused. And so he turns to the guy sitting next to him and kind of looks over at his paper. Like, is his doing that too? And like, of course, the guy notices this because he wasn't subtle about it. They have like this silent exchange that's like, uh, what the fuck? And oh, no, no, I wasn't cheating. Uh, he's just confused. Um, so the question changes a few more times. And then he finally is like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this and starts answering the test. So Julia goes to raise her hand. She's got a question, but the dean is like, no, no, no. Um, and no questions. None. You're not allowed. Um, So she's just like, okay, and keeps trying to do the test. Um, Then they turn in their tests and they are then told to report to different rooms for like whatever comes next. Uh, So Quentin gets his assignment for his next room and he sees Julia in another line and he's actually, he's like so excited to see her. They are both kind of like freaking out. They're like, what's going on? Um, and so they like hug and that sort of thing. And they're like, oh my God, how did you get here? That sort because, you know, they both got here in such odd ways and they didn't super question it, but they also did question it a little. Um, and then Quentin finally goes, oh, thank God, um, because he was worried that he started taking some new meds and he was worried they were messing with him. Um, so he's like, at least I'm not crazy like I, mean, I briefly thought. If he was thought. hallucinating, he could also be hallucinating Julia. Did that not cross his mind? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like all the questions he's asking to himself, it's like, would it help? Would it? Elliot made a good point. How would asking me help? He then, uh, so then we see Julia in a room. She is talking to this man who says that she's just been given an examination of her magical aptitude. And Julia's like, oh my God, wow, magic. Um, And she says, you know, I kind of used to think when I was little and he's like oh but you failed yeah this hurts uh (laughs) this this scene is really sad um so he basically says that he's there to prepare her to go home and this is where Julia starts to protest where I would also protest because that test was bonkers uh it made no sense the questions kept changing she's like I don't understand and then she's like don't you want students that make actual inquiry 
instead of sheep and you know like ask asking some decent questions in my mind um but he's like sorry you don't have what we're looking for grad school though that's accurate (laughs) yeah um so he's like we thought maybe you were what we were looking for but in fact you are not so she's kind of sad and she's like well i can't just go to i can't just go to yale knowing this place exists and he's like, well, you won't remember it exists because I'm about to wipe your mind. Um, and he like turns around to sanitize his hands. Uh, yep. That's nice uh, that he sanitized his hands before he did this. And so while he's turned around, Julia kind of does this like quick thinking. And she's like, well, if I'm not going to remember this, maybe I sh- like I'm going to there's I'm just going to put something on myself so that maybe I do remember mm-hmm. it. Or like at least I wonder to myself, yeah. what's this? Um, so she takes off her ring and makes a cut on her arm. Nasty cut. Which, yeah, I don't know why it had to be that large. I guess she wanted it, like, something big enough that she would question, like, not just brush it aside. It's like, oh, maybe I got a paper cut. Like, if she saw that giant cut on her arm, she would have to be like, what the hell happened? So then the man turns around again after she, like, you know, puts her sleeve back down and he Mm -hmm. does his little spell. Then we cut to Quentin. He is in front of a panel of teachers, including the dean. The dean says to Quentin, let's see some magic. And someone sets down um, a, a deck of cards in front of him. So Quentin, you know, picks up the cards and starts to do his normal little like party trick card mm-hmm. routine. And uh, the dean is like, no, no, do some real magic. And Quentin's like, uh, what? Um, so he gets kind of nervous and drops the cards. Um, And the Dean at this point gets up and comes over to Quentin and basically starts saying things to him, like basically starts listing off all the things he hated about his real life. He's like, do you want to go back to Columbia and, you know, just go to Yale now that you know that this stuff is real? And Quentin's like, no. And the Dean says, then quit dicking around. And he's like, you know, getting in Quentin's head. And Quentin is clearly, like, pissed off by this. And he's like, stop it. He's like, let's see, do some goddamn magic. And so then Quentin shouts again. And the cards fly through the air. And then they circle the room and they build a house of cards. and magical house of cards. And then Quentin faints. So that is then the end of the act. So then we are on to our next act. Um, Quentin is, you know walking through it's like nighttime and quentin is like walking toward this clock tree that we saw earlier um in the fillery in the fillery flash um and he's like walking on these stone on like a stone path and he reaches out to touch it and we hear a voice say i wouldn't playing with time is such difficult magic you'll just make it worse and quentin is like jane chatwin what uh So he's kind of like, what are you doing here, ma'am? And she continues and she says, and it won't stop him coming. She says that there's this beast and he's going to find Quentin. Quentin is the one that he wants. So Jane basically tells Quentin that break bills is not the point of him of you know this whole journey that he has now embarked on mm. break bills is merely a stepping stone there's like a much bigger thing 
than just this. And Quentin's like, but this seems really nice, basically. He's like, but I, it's already better than my real life. This is the thing. This is what I was, where I was meant to be. And Jane is like, no, you have to stay off the garden path or the beast will kill you. Because if you're staying on it, he can still find you. But if you're off of it, then he can't see you. And then these awful butterfly moth things, creatures, they're like bright blue and stuff, start flying towards him. And he wakes up and he is at break bills. It was a dream. Uh, so he is like, you know, in his little new break bills room and he looks a little confused. Um, and then he turns to see that his like fillery book six is next to him. So at least he still has his belongings. Uh, so he kind of calms down after that. Mm. Next, we cut to Julia. She wakes up in her New York City bedroom uh, since she did not get into break bills. Mm. Um, and then we see James is asleep next to her. She kind of wakes up and she notices the long gash on her arm. Uh, and she's like, hmm, what's this? Um, so then she like takes out her um, laptop and she starts Googling things. She types in Breakville College. So she like kind of remembers something mm. you can tell, um, but not completely. Yeah. So yeah. So where she's maybe on the path to remembering. And then it has her face as you can hear the Dean has a voiceover while the camera is still on her face saying magic is real. Ooh. And then it cuts to Quentin in the Dean's office and um, he's telling him a little bit more about break bills and what it entails. So break bills is a three-year graduate studies program that begins immediately. So here Quentin asks some more questions. He says, how did you find me? Um, and so there are these, they use the sense magic or something or other. Um, and they use these globes to kind of locate people who might have some magical abilities but it's not necessarily accurate, which is why they have the test. And then Quentin asks about his friend Julia because he saw his friend Julia there. Yeah. And the Dean is like, oh, she didn't make the cut. Um, and then he also apologizes for his interviewer dying on him. Uh, that was not part of the plan. And he said he snuck some Oreos and Quentin's like, magicians can't eat Oreos. And then the Dean is like, no, diabetics can't eat Oreos. Honestly, um, it might be best line of the episode. <laughs> it was very funny. Oh, Quentin God. is like, oh my God, I can't have Oreos? What? I, I mean, would be really upset too. Like if I could do yeah. magic, but I had to give up Oreos, I'd be like, hmm. This, that'd actually be a tough call. Oreos yeah. are really good. They are. So then Quentin's like, okay. And then he also asks about the paramedic. He's like, oh, so the paramedic was also, you know, the one that handed me uh, Fillory Book Six. And the dean kind of brushes past that one, like, oh, yeah, yeah, scout. <laughs> like, as though that wasn't, maybe that wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, so then he hands uh, Quentin a contract that he has to sign. It's basically just saying, uh, you know, some things about the school and, you know, so that he's gonna, he's gonna come there. And that his friends and family will hear that he's been accepted to a prestigious master's program that starts early. So basically, college is over for Quentin. No more Columbia for him. Yeah. Uh, he's he's off at break bills. And this next scene, this this next bit is questionable. Yeah. yeah. I don't questionable love it. here. 
Um, so basically the Dean says, now you're meds. Um, and he basically says, Quentin, you haven't been depressed. Um, and that he hopes that he won't need his meds at school. This is a very questionable message for a number of reasons. First of all, mm-hmm. I am not a psychologist, but I feel like I can say without pause that Quentin is definitely depressed and just yeah. going to magic school does not make him better. <laughs> um, and it's just a very questionable message to put in a TV show. This idea that any like one thing, especially a fantastical thing that's not real, is going to magically cure your depression. That's just a weird message to give to people in the real world that might actually be depressed. Like, obviously mm-hmm. not every person is going to, like, see this and take it literally, but, like, it's still the underlying message of, like, oh, like, you're just depressed because you haven't gotten this magic thing yet. Like, and also throw out your meds as if meds are a bad thing. It's an oddly anti-medication message, which is yeah. weird because medication helps a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I just, and it's also kind of random. Like the show never really elaborates on it, which I guess is good. Cause I think it's a flawed message, but it's just so random. And I'm like, why was that in there? And I also think it kind of doesn't fit with the rest of the entire series, which is the fact that even though Quentin has magic, he is still depressed. Yeah. Also kind of the theme of the whole series is basically like, even though magic exists, all these other shitty things still exist. It does help him in some ways but, but also that being does happy not change. is not the opposite of being depressed exactly yes it doesn't change his situation yeah so very questionable quest- message in there questionable especially also considering the ending of yeah. season four. Oh, well i don't fully know the answer. you haven't gotten there yeah. um but it's the reason Another reason people were so upset, and I think that it alienated viewers. Mm. Um, Anyway, next scene, we see Quentin. He's going back to his room, uh, and he notices the same guy that that was sitting next to him at the exam that thought he was cheating off of his paper. Mm. Um, And this is his roommate. Um, We don't learn his name here, but it is Penny. He's quite I'm gonna different do... than he is in the book, but I think I like yeah. Show Penny better. I also like Show Penny better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll I will read his quick little mm-hmm. character description while we're here. Penny is played by Arjun Gupta. He is described in the book as a punk with tattoos and no shirt. Um, he had a gentle moony face that was at odds with his otherwise terrifying appearance. Also, fun fact. Uh, Hale Appleman originally auditioned for Penny and Arjun Gupta originally auditioned for Elliot. Yeah. So they switched. Interesting. Uh, yes. Very, very. Also, um, the one thing that always sticks with me is in the book, they say Penny has a red and green mohawk, which is just so mm-hmm. very distinctive. Um, yeah. And again, I get why they probably didn't put that in the show because like it's kind of unnecessary and it would just mean a lot of hairstyling for every single episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, he's like, oh my god, are you my roommate? Um, and then Quentin notices that his fillery manuscript is not on his bedside table, and he asks if he's seen the manuscript that's fillery book six, and Petty is like, why do you have all this nerd shit? Penny is like, you, uh, why are you the way that you are? Um, very confused. And then in comes Elliot. He interrupts. He brings someone new with him. Uh, He comes into the room and says, Quentin, this is the interruption you've been waiting for. Um, (laughs) And then in comes uh, 
our new character, she introduces herself. She says, hi, I'm Margot. And then she looks at, she looks at Quentin. She kind of like gives him like an up and down. She goes, this is him. Hmm. And then says to Elliot, he's not that cute. And then turns and leaves the room. Um, so clearly Elliot was talking about uh, Elliot Quentin. was me and saying, look, this dude is too hot. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, Elliot was talking about Quentin while he was not there. Yeah. Um, so this is Margot, who in the book is Janet. Uh, she's played by Summer B. Schill. And in the book, Janet is described as she was lean and animated with a serious, somewhat an- anachronistic page boy haircut. She was the loud one. Quentin had seen her holding forth to the others on walks through the maze and making speeches over dinner in the dining room. So um, in, I was actually surprised. I was like, I had to flip for a while before I met Janet in the books. Yeah, the other physical kids aren't introduced until like well into the book because it's Mm -hmm. honestly not until like his second year at Breaking House. Um, Mm -hmm. So they condense, they condense quite a lot of time into this pilot episode. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, so yeah, so I, the only physical kid in the book that Quentin knew right away was Elliot. Cause he'd just kind of like, they'd mm-hmm. kind of see each other from time to time. And I think Elliot found Quentin amusing. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't meet Janet slash Margot until far later. Um, but anyway, now, um, Elliot and Margot are taking Quentin on a little bit of a tour. So this is how Quentin and we, the audience, get to learn a little bit more about, like, break bills and its, you know, social structure and whatnot. Um, so they are starting to leave the building that Quentin is in, and they basically say that the first years stay in the dorms, and then in your second year, you get to go to your house with your emphasis, Um, So they start walking through the quad and they start talking about the different um, emphases that students have. So first they talk about the physical kids, which Elliot and Margot are both physical kids. Like Elliot, like kind of as he's saying the thing about even some of us can fly, he like steps, it's like he kind of like steps up onto nothing and takes Mm -hmm. an apple that was like floating in the air. Um, So fun, fun effect there. Apparently the physical kids throw great parties. So don't go, don't go to their house if you have something to do the next day because you won't make it. You won't make it. So they're the big partiers. There's illusions, healing, nature, knowledge. So like you're seeing all different types of students on this like quad sort of area. Of like the walk into the high school cafeteria scene in high school shows. Mm -hmm. And it's like preps, goths, jocks. It's like kind of like, I would say it's almost a parody of that. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. It's because then you do see what you would consider are the goths, the psychics. um, And there's these like two people dressed in black and like weird outfits. They're just like staring at each other. And they're like doing some sort of weird telepathic thing. And Elliot calls them losers. The telepathic, um, the two psychics tell Elliot to eat shit, but they do it telepathically. Mm -hmm. Um, They do not open their mouths. And then you see these two sad looking people. They're just like, they're like George Michael from Arrested Development walking through the world. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) That's the best way to describe it, I feel. Um, and then Quentin's like, what's wrong with them? Margot and Elliot have this brief moment, brief moment of like, oh my God, should we tell him? No, we don't want to scare him because, um, there's something weird 
that happened with the third year class. There are only four of them left. And there are a lot of rumors going around about what happened to them. Like maybe they did they disappear? Are they dead? No one really knows. Um, they It's just like one day there were a bunch of them and then the next they were gone, uh, which is creepy. And then this is where... This is where Elliot says a thing about something that is in, <clears throat> this is not an ethical school. Yeah. Um, this is where Elliot says, uh, we all signed a waiver. I hope you read it. It says, spell work is not unlikely to murder you. And if so, oh, well, uh, that is in their waiver. I mean, okay, um, if it's in the waiver, it's one thing. I mean, they should probably highlight it more for the <clears throat> students before they sign it. But the other thing that like freaks me out is like them just literally not telling anybody anything about what happened to those kids. Mm-hmm. and like yeah. you're not allowed to ask mm-hmm. like it's one thing if they explained like oh this is what the accident was so and so happened it was really tragic but just not giving any answers at all so yeah. for any of you you children out there um if you're looking for institutions particularly educational institutions watch out for something like that if you hear of something like this at an institution in the real world run it's not yeah. a good place yeah, but also we watched Quentin sign that waiver and he fully did not read it. Yeah, well, so that's, that's on him. Yeah, that is on him. Um, anyway, then Margot tells Quentin to stay on the garden path. And Quentin has a moment where he's like, wait, what? And then Elliot's like, all right, let's go find something magic to smoke. Mm-hmm. And Quentin is like still reeling from the fact that Margot just said, stay on the garden path when he just had this dream of Jane Chatwin telling him to stay off the garden path. So he's like, what does this mean? Um, and that's the end of the act. Yeah. Next, um, we have our first class. So we're about to see some more magic, um, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, te- the professor is kind of talking about um, how they were all admitted and uh, they're looking to see who can grow magic and who can grow it into like something more. Mm-hmm. The woman calls Alice up to the front of the class. So this girl in the f- who was like kind of sitting in the front, um, she gets up and this is Alice. Uh, fun character description from Alice in the book um, who is played. So Alice is played by Olivia Taylor Dudley. Her first description is, this remark was addressed to a small, sullen girl with straight, dark hair who'd been huddling in the back row. She showed no surprise at being picked. She looked like the kind of person who expected the worst at all times. Why should today be any different? Um, and then later, in I think then later, it says she wasn't even smug, just impatient to be released, which I think has something to do with what yeah. happens later. Um, um, what's interesting to me is that her description is similar to Quentin's in a bit. Both of them have this little idea of they always expect the worst and they're kind of just uh antisocial in a way as a result yeah so that mm-hmm. is that makes sense to me that their characters find a connection mm-hmm. yes that is a good point and then we see so alice goes to the front of the room and this girl we don't learn her name in the pilot which i didn't know yeah. until the last time we watched I found and it talked very about confusing. This. You don't learn her name in the pilot, and she's not from the books at all. So that's why I was very preoccupied yeah. with this one girl when we first watched mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, she is sitting near Penny in the back of the room, and she's and then she like mumbles something and sarcastic, and Penny is like, "Quiet, an artist is at work." Like as they're referring to Alice up at the front of the room, uh, and so Alice 
magics a glass horse it's very cool yeah um and she is kind of like embarrassed that she had to do it she like very quickly swipes up the glass horse and goes back to her seat and people are clapping yeah. which is the where the she wasn't even smug just impatient to be released comes in yeah. it's like clearly she didn't want to do that it's like she knew it was gonna happen yeah. she knows that she's good but she's trying not to brag about it mm-hmm. it's like she just wants to lay low yeah. learn some information and peace out yeah that is Alice's MO at the moment. Yeah. So then we see Quentin. He's shook because this is a person like Quentin just figured out that he can actually do magic. Yeah. And here, this is a person that fully made like nuff- like a-, a marble turn into a horse. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, what the purpose. fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's like, what the fuck? I'm so behind. Yeah. Um, this is such like this is I feel like this is such an overachiever school person moment um which was relatable yeah. I feel he's like oh my god there's someone who's better than me yeah. and I must be better uh so Quentin's kind of freaking out now um and then we see Penny I'm just gonna her name is Katie yeah this girl's name is Katie I'm just gonna say it because I just kept writing Katie because I knew who it was yeah anyway they exchanged these looks and they're silent and Penny is like the answer is yes and she looks at him and then he kind of is like she's about she's like did you just read my mind or something and he's like no he's like he's like it's just a feeling I had he did read her mind he just didn't know what it was yet um but then he uh so basically they go have sex um, yeah, this scene is really fucking out of nowhere. Um, I mean, it's not based on, I, I, at the first time I watched it, I was like, am I just feeling shocked? Cause this is one of the major scenes that's not related to the book in any way, but no, I think it's just out of nowhere in general. It is. It's it like, it's like them having sex and then they start levitating. It's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow. Okay. Then it looks fun. right away. Yeah. Uh, they had a nice time. They clearly enjoy each other's company. Yeah. Um, as we learn, because then after that, the next scene is people, you know, chilling, and you see they're walking around together, hanging out. We see Quentin is sitting with Margot and Elliot, and Alice is sitting by herself. So basically, Quentin mentions that that girl was in his class, and Margot is like, there's one of those every year, overachiever, shy, knows they're smarter than everyone, and therefore everyone hates them. And Quentin is like, basically saying that he doesn't even get how Alice knows all that stuff. And Margot is like, that's Alice Quinn. Um, like the name is like a big revelation. Um, and she's like, oh, don't even bother trying to compare yourself to her. She's from a whole family of magicians. Like she already has a leg up, mm-hmm. basically, is what Margot is saying. Then Margot calls her over. She's like, you know, Alice, come over here, make some friends. <laughs> Margot's a little rude. Yeah. Um, so Alice doesn't take kindly to this. So she gets up and goes away. And later we see Alice is sitting in this like cafe and Quentin comes up and he like sees the symbol on the pages that she's looking at. And he's like, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, and then he is like, hey, I'm sorry for my friends. Um, and Alice is kind of like used to it. Yeah. Um, and she's like, they were, he's like, they were being, and she's like, cruel unoriginal um because she's like heard it all at this point probably and quentin sits down and he's like he's like i'm just basically just saying that he's a little bit jealous because it's easy for her and she's like i study um and he's like 
um, he says that he's really afraid of being kicked out because if you can't figure out the magic stuff, they throw you out of school. Um, Fun. <laughs> makes, I guess that makes sense. Uh, but you wouldn't remember it because they would wipe your memory. Yo, listen, um, for all the criticisms that I have of break bills, they're tuition free, right? They never, they never talk about anybody. tuition. Yeah. So I think if you get in, it's free. So I will take back most of what I said. I mean, there's still some questionable ethical stuff, but listen, I'll let you be a little unethical if you're going to give me grad school for free. Yeah. Oh my God. Grad school's expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he's basically, he's basically kind of going on and on about how he's afraid he's going to be kicked out. And Alice is like, listen, I don't know what you've heard about, you know, my family or anything, but my parents are crazy people that didn't teach me a lick of magic. Everything I've learned, I've learned on my own. She's very cold to him. Um, I think that she like went in knowing this was going to happen. She's like, oh my God, I'm going to come to this school and everyone's going to hound me because yeah. they think that I know everything and it's going to be so fucking annoying. Yeah. Um, valid. Yeah. I feel like being in like a known family in this sort of situation in like such a small world is yeah. what this magic world feels like sounds awful yeah so clearly alice is this alice and quentin did not have a good first interaction mm -hmm. so next we see quentin and he is on a payphone. they have payphones here yeah how wild well because um, like cell phones don't really work up there right so they have to yeah. use this particular payphone. also because there's this whole weird thing with like the time and break bills is in a different time than the rest of the world <laughs> Yeah, and that's why it looks like it's not the dead of winter at yeah. Breakbills in their weird little bubble yeah. that they're also, in. Also, the time thing makes sense for this conversation that is about to happen because uh, he talks, Quentin's talking to James, and then James is like, well, he's talking about Julia, and then it's like, it's her birthday, and you forgot. And I'm like, well, of mm -hmm. course Quentin forgot. It's not that fucking day for where he yeah. So, of course, he lost mm -hmm. track of time. Yeah, so basically... Um, Quentin is on the phone with James, um, who is saying that he's worried about Julia. And Quentin's like, sorry, I didn't return your message. And James is like, this, the reception up mm -hmm. here is really bad. Mm -hmm. And James is like, my five messages. Yeah. I've called you a bunch of times. And you didn't check your emails either. Um, James is like kind of freaking out. Yeah. Um, and he is saying that he's really worried about Julia. She's not herself. Quentin's like, what do you mean? And James, he's like saying, oh, I'm sure she'll be all right. And James is like, I would not be coming to you, Quentin, if I knew what to do in this situation. I feel like, which we don't really see James very much. James is not that big, that big a player in this story. But it this set up like this moment of maybe James actually is a little bothered by the fact that Quentin and Julia have such a good relationship. Yeah. Uh, it seems. So that was an interesting moment. Or I also uh, kind of read it as like, he, he doesn't think Quentin's that helpful. So like he wouldn't be turning yeah. to Quentin unless he really, really needed help. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, yeah. He's like, Quentin, you just help me, please. <laughs> um, he mentions that it is Julia's birthday, though he's sure that he forgot about it. Um, and he says that he's throwing her a party and, and can he come? And so Quentin is like, oh, a party. And as he says, party, Marco and Elliot, who already it's already been established they love to party um they hear the word party as they come up to him at the payphone and they're like oh my god a party um and so quentin is like oh you guys wouldn't want to come it's you know it's like back in new york and elliot is like you would not be able to figure out how to get back here if we didn't come with you so we're going to come so elliot margo and quentin all show up at this bar 
Um, it's like a dive bar. It looks really gross in there. Yeah, um, honestly, weird place for a bar. It was not a great bar, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and they so Elliot and Margo like see the party happening and immediately turn around and they say we're gonna go hang out by ourselves. Yeah. So Quentin goes over to his old friends. So Julia looks really sad, actually. Um, she's like not having a good time. Yeah. And so James gets really excited to see Quentin because he's like, oh my God, look, maybe maybe Julia will be excited to see Quentin, a person she cares about. And she doesn't even seem all that happy to see Quentin. He like tells her happy birthday, um, that sort of thing. They hug. She's kind of just like, ugh, and goes to get a drink. So she goes up to the bar and she orders a scotch meat. And there is a man who is sitting down at the bar and he turns to her and he wishes her a happy birthday. Um, and she is like, she just kind of looks at him and is like, go jump off a cliff. Um, she's like, okay, I don't want to speak to you. Yeah, Thanks. creepy man, don't hit on me in this room. Yeah. Bar. yeah. She's like, not having it today. I don't like this um, man. No. Um, and then uh, Quentin finds Julia. She's sitting outside smoking a cigarette. Um, and he comes to sit down with her and she's like, you have to tell them that they were wrong about me. And she says, and uh, at break bills, and she says, if you say what's break bills, I, I will, I, f- I forget what she said, but she was like, don't say that because, yeah. yeah, she's like, I'll stab you or something. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, how, she's like, I want to be tested again. And he's like, how do you remember? And he's like, kind of confused. Um, because, you know, it's, they wiped her memory. Yeah. It should have worked. He basically says that they're not going to test her again. They would just wipe her memory and do it correctly this time. Yeah. Um, and Julia is saying, but like they're wrong because I can do magic. So she like tries to do this spell that she found on the internet. Um, it kind of just like kind of like has some sparks, some little sparks come up in Quentin. It just kind of looks at her like he feels sorry for her and Quentin is like Quentin is like well there's all sorts of magic spells on the internet and people don't know what they are like they keep taking down this video of George W. Bush when he's really drunk and making air ripples um and Julia's like what are you saying and he's like anyone can do this that doesn't mean you have potential mm. um and he's being an asshole yeah uh, about this um and he basically chalks it up to her not wanting to fail because Quentin and Julia um are both like are both clearly the students that have been and gifted and talented since yeah. like you know the beginning of time yeah. they are they are like you know both huge overachievers and so Quentin's like you just are there's like this one thing you're not good at and you're upset about it and Julia's like, fuck you, dude. That's not what's going on here. He is being rude. Um, yeah. So basically, they end this conversation. It, it's not, they're not in a great place mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, and so Quentin see, finds Margo and Elliot there at the bar. They are pretty drunk. And he's like, all right, time to go. And they leave. So Julia goes to the bathroom after that upsetting conversation. And she is, you know, washing her hands in the sink um and then one of this this part is weird i don't like it um is uh, another part um, of the pilot that's questionable and i'm like did you have to do it this way was it necessary it could have been done differently i think it really could have been done differently (laughs) um so 
basically Julie, one of the buttons of Julia's shirt just kind of like randomly rips off and it falls down the drain. And she's like, oh, fuck. Because th- that's so annoying when you lose one button. Yeah. That's aggravating. Um, but then all of the other buttons rip off her shirt. And then it basically like pulls itself off and ties her to the radiator um, that is behind her. And so Julia's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And this we see this someone's hand and like, you know, there's some, some so someone is doing this to her. And we see that the man from who was sitting at the bar that told her happy birthday earlier steps into view. And that is the end of the act. Um, and I'm just like, did it, if they had to get this introduction or like this threat scene, did it have to be like a threat of sexual assault? Like, did it have to have the undertones of, like, sexual assault and rape? Like, did it have to rip her yeah. shirt off? Or could it have... I don't think it did. No. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Just seems like a weird well, thing to include. Yeah. It's not great. For the hell of um, it. <laughs> so, the next act opens on the cre- said creepy man. Mm-hmm. We also don't learn his name in the pilot, but it is Pete. Mm. I will say that because I kept calling him Pete and for the also, rest of my notes. And also, don't expect you to be kind of sympathetic with him later on? Isn't he, like, kind of a good guy? Am I making that up? He goes back and forth. I remember being weirded out because I was like, if you introduce a character as, like, he's sexually assaulting someone, even as a joke, I'm not going to be sympathetic to that character. Yeah, he goes back and forth. I don't. I don't care for him. Yeah. Uh, I he was also on Gossip Girl. Yes. And I fun remember fact. Bringing that up. <laughs> yes. Um. So back to this in the bathroom, she is still tied to the radiator. Julia is, and she is able to free herself using some magic. Mm-hmm. So, um, some electricity sparks from her hands, and it's pretty cool yeah, looking. Yeah, that, that sad little spell that Quentin thought was stupid, she actually uses it to save herself, so. Yeah, um, and then the guy looks at her and is like, awesome, and then <laughs> waves his hands and, ex- it, like, says this other language and extinguishes her, like, sparkly hands. Yeah. Um, sparkly hands is not the good way to describe that. I like it. They are sparks. Yeah. That's what I meant. Um, anyway, he says, I knew it. And Julia is like, what are you? Some kind of like weird, creepy rapist. And he's like, no, no. I just wanted to see if I was right. Break Bills is not the only place that tracks the gift. We've been watching you for some time. Um, and so he says all of these things. He says all the right things in this moment. Uh, to get to pique her interest because like he mentions break bills I find creepy yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so he mentions break bills he says that we're they're not the only place that track the gift and he basically says that he basically says the thing that Quentin said she didn't have which was potential yeah so she seems like she's interested in learning more that whole speech would Um, seem really nice and like victorious for her if it hadn't come from this guy that just tried to sexually assault her even if it was just a test it just comes off as more so creepy and like he's going to take advantage of her further and I'm not sure if that was their intention or not I don't know I feel like some stuff with the hedge witches does sometimes seem like they're taking advantage of you yeah so like it's hard for me to tell how much it was intended to be that yeah 
I, yeah, I can't either. This was, this, this is, mm. yeah. So next we have Quentin back at break bills. He's in the library um, and he's kind of falling asleep and he hears a pounding on a door that's nearby. So he goes up to open it and steps into Fillory again. So he's back in a dream. Jane is sitting on top of this stone and it looks like a grave Mm -hmm. or something later because we see it reads Rupert Chatwin. Mm -hmm. And she says the the thing about Fillory is that you don't get to decide when to go. It does it decides if you deserve to. And she says to Quentin, you didn't listen to me and that's going to kill you. And he's like, I don't understand. And she once again says break bills is not the point of break bills is not the point of this. It's just a tool to get you to where you need to be. And he's like, well, I feel like I'm in the right place right now. And she's like, oh my God, you're not, you're being stupid. Uh, And she takes his hand and like puts it onto the grave and it sears that symbol that was in Alice's book onto his hand. So he like, it's like a brand. And so he wakes up in the library and this symbol is on his hand and he's like that's weird um so he's standing by a tree um alice is like leaving a building and he like kind of runs up to her and she's like go away because she does not like him at the moment uh and he shows her the symbol that's on his hand and that gets her attention because she was you know looking at that book that had it in there she um basically is like all right well you must have something to do with what I need to do. So meet me at 10 p.m. in the admin building and bring an Estonian to English dictionary. And Quentin's like, well, what does it mean? And she says, contact the other side. So Quentin's like, what? Like talking to the dead? She's like, well, a summoning, but yes. Uh, and she was, And so then she also says that they have to steal a book from the Dean's private collection And Quentin is like, these seem like great ways to get kicked out of magic school, which is a thing that I don't want to do. He does not want to be a part of this. And even Alice is like, hey, listen, I don't want you to be a part of this. But clearly you're a part of this because the symbol is on your hand. So we got to We have to figure this out. And Quentin is like, oh, my God, I'm going to get kicked out of school. Next, we see Penny and Katie. They're sitting in Penny and Quentin's room. Katie's like looking at these flashcards, kind of studying, and Penny's got his eyes closed. Um, he's like sitting up on his bed. Um, and then he like opens them super abruptly and he seems really annoyed. He like gets up and puts on his shirt, and Katie's like, What are you doing? He's like, I have to go. And she's like, What are you talking about? He's like, I need to go do something. I need to go deal with this. And he finally admits that he can hear voices. And Katie is like, what, you're psychic? And he's like, no, I hate that word. And she's like, okay, mind slut Um, (laughs) instead. And she kind of jokes with him. She's like, I don't care. Um, It's not a big deal. I've met people like you. Um, Frankly, frankly, you're not even the first one to get into my pants is what she says. (laughs) He's like, I just need to go do this. And she's like, well, I'll come with you. So they both head to wherever they're going. So we see Quentin and Alice in the admin building. They're preparing the spell. Um, And Quentin takes the little, he had like a little handkerchief wrapped around his hand where the symbol was. And he takes it off and the symbol is gone. 
And Quentin's like, well, what the fuck? Uh, he's like, that's not great. I mean, it's also weird that he got a brand from a dream. So I feel like it disappearing mm-hmm. is not much weirder than that. Yeah, well, he's like, whatever this is, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, so it's very interesting what Quentin decides he's a fan yeah. of and what he isn't in this universe. Yeah. I'm like, dude, there's a lot of other questionable things here. Yeah. And your, I feel your like wound he's question- getting healed is what you have a problem with. <laughs> It's like okay it's a little unsettling yeah. i will admit but very it's odd anyway so uh quentin asks who they're contacting and alice says my brother his name is charlie and then quentin does this thing where he's like oh my god oh oh you have a dead brother yeah. he's like oh no oh that's bad um socially awkward yeah. quentin coming out in full force here yeah. he's like oh my god he kind of asks like how did he die? And Alice is like, um, I'm, I'm assuming horribly because no one will tell me about it. Yeah. Um, which this is true. Yeah. We learn later. Yep. She says that the only re- thing that she knows is that it happened at break bills, mm-hmm. um, which is the re- the only reason she has come to break bills. She would not have come to school here. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of, Alice kind of gives off the vibe that she resents magic. Yeah. Um, and she would, it seems like she would have skipped school altogether had it not been for the fact that her brother died mysteriously mm-hmm. at break bills and she wants to know more about mm-hmm. it. So um, she's looking for answers. Um, so next we see Penny and Katie, they arrive. Penny kind of looks at them and he's like, so I gather you need some extra hands. And Quentin has this moment where, like, his face goes, his eyes go wide, and he freaks out. And Penny can, Penny is answering all of his questions that he's asking in his head. He says, yes, I can hear your thoughts. And then Penny says to Quentin, everything you think is so boring, I replace it with dubstep. And Quentin goes, what's dubstep? Which is like, I'm like, what? Okay, sir. That also Um, sounds very 2014. It does. I don't even remember does. the last time I heard somebody say the word dubstep. So Alice says that they need four people to the, perform the spell. So it's like perfect timing uh, that they have showed up. So now it is midnight and they're all sitting and they're like waiting for something to happen. They've got the whole thing set up and they're like staring into the mirror and nothing happens. Uh, Katie says that she is hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she gets up and she's like, all right. I'm gonna go because nothing's happening and Penny's like okay cool I'll go with you and Quentin starts cleaning things up and Alice seems like confused and like sad that nothing really happened so she's like all right I guess we can go now because that was useless um so they leave the room but they leave the room and turn around before they see something breathing on the mirror and making a smiley face out of the condensation. It's very creepy. Um, which is a no for me. <laughs> so next we see Julia with this man, Pete. Um, they are going to meet the hedge witches. They don't say that actually, mm-hmm. but that's what they're doing. Yeah. So like they go to it's like this old looking abandoned mm-hmm. warehousey type building. It seems like it's on the edge of town. Yeah. Uh, not the place to be. Uh, and he, so Pete, he like knocks on this door, pulls up his sleeve and, uh, shows off this key tattoo to a hole in the door to like gain entry 
because that's how you see the mark of a hedge witch or their their tattoos. So yeah, Julia is about to learn about a different type of magic. So this is cool that it is then juxtaposed with Quentin and his learning about magic. So here we are, the last scene of the episode now. That's a lot. This scene. This scene is Let like me the tell midpoint every- escalation of the first book. This is probably like one or 200 pages into the first book. Mm-hmm. And it's also after he's been at Brickville for like two, two and a half years. Um, it's so they get past, they skip past a lot in the initial world building, which is, I think, is the right call for the TV show. Mm-hmm. But I was very shocked the first time I watched this. I was like, what? Already? <laughs> yeah um also, it's much more frightening in the show like it's it's a pretty faithful reproduction of what happens in the book but it's much more frightening to see it happen visually yes i let me tell you for as many times as i've seen this pilot which is at least five or six times at this point still unsettling it's pretty scary i hate it anyway so we're in class. Quentin's like not super paying attention because he's like playing with his little coin yeah. the professor is you know talking about things you like see the other students um alice is diligently taking notes penny and katie are just chilling in the back Mm -hmm. as they normally do so the professor is like spouting off in german about something they didn't subtitle the german so i had no clue what they were saying um so anyway uh the clock strikes 12 and it gets stuck and it strikes 12 everywhere and gets stuck. And so you see the Dean, You it cuts to him outside and he notices that his watch has like stopped moving. Mm. And he's like, he and he looks like he's going in his head. Oh, fuck. He sets off running. Yeah. We don't know where he's going. But in the classroom, time has stopped. So like people outside of this classroom are still moving. Yeah. But everyone else in the classroom is frozen. It, they can only move yeah, their eyes. Yeah, so it's not like time stopped, but it's like they are paralyzed. Like all the yeah. objects are frozen too, and they can't move, mm-hmm. but their eyes are moving. So it's like, you know, yeah. they're conscious while this is happening. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's so Ooh, That's what made it worse. That's what made it yeah. worse. Um, so they're all frozen. And you see the this mirror in the back of the room and one of those weird butterfly moth creatures yeah. exits the mirror. I hate those yeah. things with a burning passion. Uh, it exits the mirror and then you see a foot step out and a f- full man comes out of this out of this mirror with like the butterfly thingies concealing his face. Yeah. So we can't see his face. Um, they're just like zooming around yeah. him. It's a swarm. And one thing in the book is, um, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe the way he's just, this is almost <laughs> spot on to what the book said, except in the book, they say this guy has a mysterious branch that's hanging from nowhere that blocks his face. Yeah. So it's it's still like mm-hmm. his face is obscured by a strange method. Um, but I would have preferred the branch, frankly, because I really do not care for the swarm of bugs. They are very unsettling. Yeah, no. Um, I think that the bugs are worse. So maybe they did that on purpose, yeah. too. This guy starts walking around the classroom. And when I say walk, I really mean he's doing a little bit of a yeah, jig. That's because also he is dancing. Because it's like not uh, really a dance. Like, it's hard to tell if he's like walking or skipping or dancing. Just something about it. He's doing just... a little step ball change. Yeah, it's just uh, it does not seem very right at all. He is like, it's like he's singing a little song, but just in his head. Mm-hmm. 
so we can't hear it so we're like we're like the class we're kind of like frozen like what the fuck is going on and he's just like (laughs) but in his head (laughs) what you just said reminded me of spongebob stepping on the beach stepping on the beach Oh my god, I love Somebody that. take that clip of the magicians and put the SpongeBob audio over it. So he comes further into the room, and this is the first time we kind of see like pe- people doing magic with like really precise hand movements. Mm-hmm. Um, which I read years and years ago that they created the hand movements with like doing like tutting moves. Mm-hmm. Um, when tutting was more of a thing, also in 2014. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you see his this man's hand is kind of doing this like motion and he's like it's like he's choking their professor but he's not touching him um so then but then he kills the professor so the professor is dead now um rip to that man and then this the dean finally arrives and he starts shooting off a spell he is also doing some yeah. very advanced looking tutting. badass like he he like blasts uh-huh. in and it's like oh thank god he's here he's gonna take care of this yeah it, it's like battle magic mm-hmm. it's like we would learn later that that was probably some intense battle magic mm-hmm. but um we don't know what it is right now he blasts the man yeah. like back but unfortunately it is not enough because then the the man comes forward and he does his own spell which breaks the dean's fingers yep um and that is awful then he gets closer to the dean and fully just takes his eyes out of his sock reaches right in pulls him out (laughs) puts them down on penny's desk and then uses the blood to draw a smiley face and so now is awful and this is how we know that this is the same thing that left the smiley face when alice Mm -hmm. and quentin left the room so they accidentally summoned this yeah. instead of Alice's brother. Yeah. So whoops. Then Quentin's coin inexplicably drops and it clatters and makes a noise on his desk. So of course the man with the creepy butterfly moths flying around his face walks towards the noise and towards him. So Quentin's eyes are just like moving around at this point. Everyone's eyes are just like, going all over the place because it's like they're trying to watch it all happen so the man comes over to quentin kind of like leans in and looks at him and it's just all the moths right in quentin's face (laughs) hate that would hate that um and then the guy goes quentin coldwater there you are and that is the end of the episode he like reaches for him oh yeah stops like oh yeah he like reaches for mm-hmm and that is the end of the episode. Yeah, so it's fucking a lot happens. There. Yeah, that is a lot. We talked the first time that we recorded this. We also had a little bit of a conversation about how do we feel about this ending off on a cliffhanger. I feel like since since then, we have watched some other pilots that ended on sort of cliffhangers. Maybe nothing quite as dramatic as this. I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of which ones. Um, Orphan Black a little bit was cliffhanger-ish. Yeah. Um, I, there's definitely more, but now I can't remember. Uh, Lost, kind yeah, of. Yeah, you say, yeah. Yeah, the, I, but I can't say that any of them are as intense yeah. as this, because yeah, it's as like, because like with Lost, it's, 
we learn a big piece of information right as yeah. pilot part two is not ending. right in the middle of action but it yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i have to say like here's the thing if this was a streaming show I might be more inclined to forgive it because if it's designed to make you watch the next episode and the next episode is readily available, I'm not sure yeah. that I like it so much because this was actually not a streaming show. Yeah. And from and the it, first time it, it aired, was. you would have had to wait like months to get to episode two. If you watched the first episode as it previewed in December, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it, and then it came on again in January. Yeah um so I feel like my feelings yeah. about this after having watched it for I don't know like a, a, maybe a third time in total but a second time like analyzing it for this podcast and having watched a lot of other because this was one of the first ones we watched originally but now we've watched a whole mm-hmm. lot of other ones in the meantime and I feel like we've learned a bit from analyzing them I think this is a really really nice adaptation of the books I really love a lot of things of how they adapted the books I think a lot of key sequences were done really well and I think the changes that they made were smart changes but just as a standalone tv show as a standalone tv pilot I it's not that I think it's bad it's just that I'm not sure it's one of the better ones we've watched because I think Mm -hmm. if I had not read the books I think if I was not familiar with the books I would have found this incredibly overwhelming and off-putting yeah, and I think that you actually mentioned some of that. I'm starting to feel deja vu <laughs> about the fact that we talked about this already. Um, I think that you actually mentioned the had you not known, had you not like known the story already, you would have found it way more off-putting the first yeah. time. Um, and I, I, I think I agree. And I also remember mentioning that even though I think it's kind of weird that it ended on a cliffhanger, I feel like this entire episode does a very good job of like, the whole phenomenon of this is what you're getting into mm-hmm. so if if yeah this is not your thing you you should leave now yeah. because i feel like which i feel like has some pros and cons it's cuz like we got a lot of stuff mm-hmm. in this pilot because like we had to be introduced to quite a few things we were introduced to fillery and like that whole thing we were introduced to break bills mm-hmm. And that whole thing. And we were, like, almost introduced to the whole, like, other world of magic that Julia is about to step into. So it's just, like, a lot of information Mm -hmm. they threw at us, I feel. And I think it does a really good job at that. So I don't want to come off too negative. I would say just um, it's doing a different thing than a lot of the other pilots we Mm -hmm. watched. It's not trying to introduce a really status quo TV world because it was not conceived as that and it's not trying to be that it is trying to be a very serialized Mm -hmm. show and not really status quo at all um so I think that's okay Mm -hmm. it's like got a different goal in mind but um so yeah that's just the different way I was viewing it after having seen some of these other very tv based pilots even if they were adapted from other things they were very much adapted to a tv format um yeah things that I really liked about this even more so on a second watch is I think I mean, not the the cinematics and the special effects, as you said, are all really great. And a lot of the book, a lot of the moments from the books are just brought to life in a really stunning way. So I think it's it's mm-hmm. just beautiful to watch. That's a plus. Yeah. And also writing wise, one thing I noticed this time around, especially, is that um, a lot of the dialogue is really efficient, and a lot of the transitions between scenes and the pacing is really really efficient to get through. so much in this one episode like so much happens and like I noticed a lot of little things this time like little ways they get from one scene into the next that helps like answer more questions than you think it would like Mm -hmm. uh 
I'm trying to think of an example. Like, oh, when Quentin's on the payphone, when Quentin's on the payphone and he picks up and James says, like, you haven't been answering any of my messages. We literally saw nothing. We didn't see anything about James sending messages previous to that. And like in a lot of episodes, like more traditional or like maybe slightly slower pilots, you would have wanted a little hint of establishing the messages before that. But like it wasn't really necessary. Um, All we needed was to know Mm -hmm. that he had been trying to contact Quentin and Quentin hadn't been listening. And we don't know what the messages were about, but then it's answered by the next line that he's talking about Julia. So like, I just, there was a lot of moments like that where I was like, oh, I can actually see how they were really smart in the ordering of this to help us get through the information a lot quicker without having to repeat anything. Mm -hmm. And I will say that even though a lot happened, I won't, I don't think, I don't think I found it overwhelming. And I don't know if that's because I've seen it so many times, but I don't even think I found it that overwhelming upon first watch. I feel like I found certain moments overwhelming, but I won't say like, I feel like I wasn't bombarded with information because of the way they parceled it out to us. I think, I mean, it's hard for me to answer for sure. Cause like I have, read the books so I am watching it through that lens but I would be curious to hear from somebody who hasn't read the books who watched this because um like that's my sense is that it feels like a lot but maybe it actually isn't and maybe maybe it's just a matter of expecting what you expect when you go in because I think if I was expecting more of a tv show type plot that was supernatural along the lines of charmed I think I might have been overwhelmed by this but if I knew like if someone had told me going in like it's a lot of information it's a very rich world and it's gonna it's gonna kick off really fast it's really eventful but just you know go along for the ride like if somebody told me that I might be okay with it like if I knew to expect that going in but I think if I was expecting more of a regular tv pilot I might be very shocked by this (laughs) yeah I would say so I think what you said is very true. Like it's making it very clear what you're getting into. And if you don't like this pilot, you probably shouldn't continue the show. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's going to stay this yeah. way. It is going to this, this show, this show is very quick to tell you that it is dark. Yeah. Um, and you should believe it. Yeah. I'd say if you're down for a fantasy show that is wild and sometimes funny, you should give the magicians a try yeah. Even though I cried angry tears due to the series finale, it's one of my favorite shows. Like, that's not for no reason. I think one of the nice things about it is it's just very unique. It's not comparable to Mm -hmm. a lot of other things. Maybe that's why I'm struggling to, like, say things about its structure, because it's really just very different from other shows. There's not a lot of comparisons to be made. It's just, it's a very unique blend of supernatural, Mm -hmm. but also some realistic aspects blended in. And it's got a blend sure. of darkness, but also humor. Um, and it's got a blend of like serialized heavy plot, but also some levity blended in. Yeah. And it's just, it's a mm-hmm. unique balance of those elements that, yeah, I don't know any other show that's quite like it. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you now. If you have any thoughts about the Magician's Pilot you'd like to share with us or suggestions for shows we should watch, you can email us at itsinmyqpod at gmail.com. And in case you want to prepare for the next episode discussion with us, the next pilot we will be watching is Charmed, original Charmed, 1998. So go ahead and watch or rewatch that episode so you'll be ready for our thoughts on it next week. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at InMyQPod or on our personal Twitters. I am at Adina Terrific. And I'm at Kara. 
underscore Powell. Thanks for listening, and we hope we've helped you clear out your queue.